0: I ended up doing ayahuasca for the first time and I surrendered, you know, there's a lot of mindset stuff I was doing and about surrender and being like, whatever happens, like you, this is no way to live. And I was just at the point where I was just so committed to surrendering and I had the most beautiful journey and everything changed after that. But since doing that, I've done ayahuasca. I did ayahuasca the next night. I did. Um, I did psilocybin retreat for healing a few weeks after that. I did ayahuasca again in the fall, and I recently did a heroic dose of mushrooms. And every time since then, I've resisted. I have not fully surrendered to your point because what I feel like is like I'm in a pretty good state, so it's very hard for me to. I don't know to truly surrender because I know what it felt like before it was like, like this needs to change, like whatever I need to do. And now it's um, it's been a struggle to truly surrender. And that's something I'm working on
1: Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Hope you guys are doing well today. My next guest is another featured member from the Fit for Service crew, the Aubrey Marcus Fellowship that I am in, and we are featuring Sam Kabert today. Sam is also known as Swag Sam, is a believer in the power of a brand. Sam has launched several successful businesses and brands and recognized in 2019 as one of the Silicon Valley Business Journal's 40 Under 40 Most Successful and Influential Professionals. In addition to running a thriving swag business, Sam has been successful in many side hustles, produced various podcasts, launched multiple YouTube channels, and is the author of books about working with virtual assistants and goal-setting. Sam has been working with virtual assistants for five years and wants to help share his tips, tricks, and mistakes so you don't make the same with others. So Sam is a beast. He has done so much in the business world. Like he is, within our community, he's always a guy that's helping everybody with things to do with business, things to do with podcasting, landing pages, virtual assistants, all this kind of stuff. And he's always been, just always been one of the first people to help in, in these situations. And I really admire that. He's also got an awesome podcast called Soul Seeker Podcast, which is kind of about people's transformations and soul journeys, which we're all on in one way or another, right? It's kind of unpacking, discovering your soul purpose, which is what I am definitely on. And I was on his show and it's awesome. He's had some great guests as well and he's been doing the podcast game for a while so it's uh, it was great to have him on and and so he could come share his story and we get into some of the the adversity that he's been through in his life that you know really shaped who he is and we just get into a great conversation about you know where he is you know what he's gone through where he's at and i know you guys will love this so as well if you guys haven't already make sure to subscribe it's free on apple some people think we chart it's it costs money or something but it doesn't what that means is you get to stay on top of all the episodes. And if you can leave us a review, it helps even more. The more reviews you get, the better, obviously, which is always helpful. And yeah, guys, there's a lot of really useful information and I really highly suggest you check out Sam. We'll have all his information in the show notes after the conversation. So Sam Cabert coming right up. And we're on. Sam, what's happening, brother? How you doing, man?
0: Doing well, man. The Blue Angels just <laughs> did a flyover out here in California, so uh, heard that. And luckily, it went before we podcast, so it didn't interrupt. No, I'm just kidding. But um,
1: yeah, <laughs> not too much going on out here. What's going on in Cali, man? I hear that you guys are shut down until July or something.
0: You know, I, I just yeah, I just saw that headline too. I don't know if you read it because I saw a headline, so I didn't read it. And all I saw was, I think. SoCal was considering it. I'm not sure if it was the governor or if it was statewide or if it was just a county or city or what. Yeah. Right. When everyone's saying like, this is being recorded uh, mid-May and you know, right. When everyone's saying like, Oh yeah, we're starting to open up and things are getting like normal, new normal or, or open back up. Yeah. We're uh, looking at being shut down until July. Right. So,
1: yeah, I, I don't understand it. I don't, I mean, I do understand it, but I don't understand it at the same time. Walk us through your situation right now, your perspective on it. You know, we've been, what, two months in, you know, right after pretty much we got back from Tulum, February, pretty much not even a month later. It was probably, that was when it happened, right? So, and it's been quite quite the journey. So walk us through what you've been going through, how it's affected you, and maybe what your theory is on the whole thing
0: yeah so for me i was in hawaii when this started to really blow up and people were t- like my family my mom and you know a few friends too were like texting me like are you going to be able to make it home and even um trip who he's in fit for service so i visited him out there and one of uh, my buddies and he was like um if you need to you can crash here if you get stuck if you're not going to be able to get home so it was like just when this was starting And then I did make it back. Uh, That was March 8th. And I think it was probably within five days later that we officially went to shelter in place. So it happened pretty quick, you know, as we all know. But at the same time, it happened really slow, if you will, because we were slow to lock down. But initially, right off the bat, I just had this weird... Intuition. I don't want to call it weird, but it was like you know what Eric Godsey, one of the coaches of Fit for Service, talks about, like you know your daemon and the whispers, that type of thing. And it was, it was a whisper, and it was this gut feeling, of this is the awakening, this is the transformation. And a lot of um, my, you could call it depression, um, stems from how as humans we are so concerned about work and making money. And I just look at the animal kingdom and they are truly looking at survival. And I think uh, we not, I know we've really lost our ways, you know, and that's a whole rabbit hole go down, but it's just like in the past few years, I've been working less than four hours a day while increasing sales year over year. And just like, feel like I cracked the code on like, you know, business and I I'm Jewish. So I joke that I have some Jewish guilt. It's like, you know, when I go throughout my day and see, People working, it's like this is not the way it's supposed to be. And that's why I started my coaching business to help people get out of being a slave to the system, whether it's being um, an employee at corporate and teaching them how to be an entrepreneur or teaching entrepreneurs how to work less. Because the idea of being an entrepreneur is to have a well oiled machine that runs itself without you working in the business. We need to be working on the business. So that's kind of like where my head's been at and only been being into spirituality for like a year or so i've heard a lot of things about like a great awakening happening soon or like it is happening and i've had some skepticism like okay sure like you know you've probably been saying that like forever right so that's just like kind of been my feelings over the past year like i can never alone make a big enough impact to break down the system and change the way we look at work, the way our economy is structured and the way we live our lives. And collectively I was dealing with, I don't think, I really don't believe in my heart of hearts that collectively we can make this change. And it was like, how am I going to adjust my viewpoints that it's not just that you're a slave to the system or a sellout because I felt like I was a sellout, um, you know, and like finding my way in this world right so i i've been dealing with that in my spiritual awakening and going back to covid19 as soon as we went into shelter in place i had this gut feeling that this is it this is what the spiritual people have been talking about about the great awakening and this is going to be the first major catalyst that gets us on that path and it was just this feeling of like it's we're in the cocoon with respect to people dying with respect to people losing everything financially, you know, like this is the struggle we need for the transformation and it's not so much about me or it's not some, so much about us. It's about the future of humanity. And, you know, in my Akashic records readings and things like that, I was told that the souls that came to earth in this current like time period came here to witness a great awakening. So I've had a lot of like stuff in the spiritual sense saying that there's going to be this great awakening. And then I don't always pull Oracle cards every day, I, several times a week, close to every day, I'd say. But I col- pulled an Oracle card from my animal deck and I only have one deck and it was fire. And fire is all about burning down to rebuild and begin anew. Right. So it was like, holy, wow. Like that, that just goes so much in alignment with this gut feeling. So then I just really sat with that fire card. And then I think I went, this is before the, maybe I don't remember, I guess this is before shelter in place because I went to a uh, sound healing and a kundal, uh, breath, sound healing and breath work thing. So maybe it was right before, shelter in place. And I remember the person there, the facilitator, she was commenting on like this energy I had. And I felt like I literally felt like there was like a spiritual being through me for like a week. Like I didn't feel like myself. It was like the incredible feeling. And what I'm trying to get at here is I pulled that same fire card four days in a row. Oh, so like talk about slapping in the face, like Kyle Kingsbury. He's one of the coaches in fit for service. And he talks about synchronicities are abundant. Like they're all the time. And he goes, the The synchronicities that we see and that we say are synchronicity. It's that it hits you so hard in the face that it's like, duh, like that's a synchronicity, right? Yeah. But we're not really noticing the other ones. And that's what that card really was to me, it was like, listen up and take this, uh, serious. So that's been, um, my approach. And you know, I've gone down the rabbit hole in the past couple of months with, um, the conspiracies. And I try not to because that gets me in the wrong, uh, space. Mm-hmm. So I try to not consume too much news and be careful what I consume so that I stay true to my truth. But yeah, yeah,
1: which is which is probably the best thing you can do, right? I mean, You got to control, what you can control, fill your cup in the best way so that you're energetically there for other people because other people are struggling and they're going to look to somebody that, you know, we've done this work for a little while now and I know I have and I know you have for, for, I'm not sure how long you've been on that path, but I've really seen the people that haven't done that and the struggle that they're going through it's kind of like wow okay there's a lot of fear out there Mm -hmm. and usually an abundance of fear just means that you have a lost sense of yourself and and you don't really know what's you believe more about what you see in the media than like what you feel true in your your actual soul and it's it can be very dangerous when you get caught up in the news and the conspiracies and yeah, it's interesting to go and watch some of these things. It's like, oh wow, okay. But then it's it's a there's you got to have a limit. You got to right. go All right, I'm I'm educated on that specific thing. I'm educated on that, but that's enough. You know, I don't need to keep hearing it. I don't need to keep beating it to death. It's like, all right. What do what feels right to me? And I I love what you said, man. It's like I felt the same way. There's some sort of I felt the same. I felt like when this happened, there was some sort of energy that came through me and it was like somebody telling me it's time for you to step up into your into your power. And I know a lot of you guys listening have heard me talk about this kind of stuff. So I'm not going to say that you may think it's stupid because if you're listening to this, you probably love this kind of shit because <laughs> I know I do. And that was the kind of like the knock, the call, like, here, this is, this is the chance, you know? And ever since then, it's just been... Yeah, it's, it's been such a crazy progression of watching how this has all unfolded. And, but there's also that surrender to, the, to it as well. It's like you can only control, you can control, right? And Absolutely. You have to let things sort of work themselves out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you say. And I feel like people like you and I, we've been activated. You know. Yeah. And it wasn't a coincidence that in 2019, how many people, quote unquote, woke up. And we were activated, you know? Yeah. So.
1: What do you think from what you see now? Because obviously there's a lot of people who want to work less. You know, there's a lot of people who took advantage the last few years, the the digital economy pivoting into online. um, But a lot of people didn't. Where do you see now? the industry that you're in or just in general, like where are people really going to have to shift? Like what are people going to have to do?
0: I think now is the time for multiple income streams. You know, like we, you and I both probably have been proponents and believers of side hustles, you know, and the rise of that in, in recent years, but more than the gig economy, like, you know, running errands to do, um, DoorDash and Instacart and whatever things like that, like taking a step further and a true side hustle. Like it's one thing, like the gig economy, and I'm not knocking at like DoorDashing or anything like that, but if you want to scale your time so that you can work less, like it's looking at a side hustle and The truth is we all have gifts. We all have expertise, right? And it's stepping into that power of having the confidence in realizing that and then the know-how in terms of how we're going to share that. So I think it's really just stepping into that and finding ways to be more confident. And that's one of the things I coach on. And I'm not like suggesting like, oh work with me. I'm just saying like hey, the reason why I do that <laughs> is because I'm passionate about it, right? I know. Yeah, because I sell promotional products. That's how I make money, but I'm not passionate about it. So I'm getting into You're a hustler, that I'm
1: bro. You're a hustler. It's in your DNA. It's nothing to be not, you know, yeah. it's great. You got a work ethic. You know how many people do you know how many people need what you got, bro? Like your work ethic yeah. is you can't teach somebody work ethic. You can't.
0: Can you though?
1: It's like, it's one of these things. It's like, you have to have the drive. You have to, I think, I think, I don't think you can teach it. I think you can help people align with a passion of their why, but they have Mm -hmm. to find it within themselves. And I know because I lack what you have in that area, because as far as work ethic, as far as determination, there's a lot of areas that I know. That I, I lack. It doesn't mean that I don't love what I'm doing. It just means I'm either unorganized or I'm feeling I'm not, I don't have my shit sorted out. There's there's a lot of factors, but we all have our strengths, right? And I I I think, you know, you you can't teach, I always said it in sports too, you can't teach heart. You can't teach that stuff, but you 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 can you can help people with the other stuff, right? You can help them discover like why it is they're doing it. And what I what I see a lot of people, a lot of people though, too, like this is something I wanted to ask you as well. A lot of people aren't willing to do the work. They want everything automated and everything they see, they read Tim Ferriss book and then they think, oh, I just want to push a button. And which is great at some point to be able to do what you've done and work four hours a day or whatever. That's the dream, right? But what's your message for people who are like seeking that before putting the work in, right? Because you have to work hard to get to that result, Right. Right.
0: So you mentioned why a couple of times, that three letter word, right? And that is huge to me in all my webinars, workshops, training videos, all that type of stuff. I always make sure to start with why, like I've always been a big fan of Simon Sinek. And to me, it's really looking at your why as an anchor and it's going to be your North star. So what I mean by that is whether it be business or life, there's one constant we're always going to have hard times, right? And we're both in fit for service. We're talking about the hero's journey all the time and how many struggles are there in the hero's journey. And, you know, talking about university of adversity and facing adversity, like we can get into my college traumas and that type of stuff. But I remember around the time that those traumas happen like one of the new rockies came out like you know 2010 or whatever and there's this scene where rocky says to his son it's not about how hard you can hit it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward so that became my mantra back then and um really that's going back to why it's like when you're in that pit of just feeling like you can't do this for whatever reason, cause we all have the negative voices in our head. And as I say all the time, like I just invite you to politely say, "Shh, not today. Right? Like when you hear those negative voices creeping up, just invite politely tell them to go away. Right. Mm. And go back to that. Why? And if you are really crystal clear on your why that becomes your anchor And your North star to guide you to slowly climb out of that pit. And I mean, this is part of the spiritual stuff. And I'm still learning this. Like you got to feel it to heal it because I've suppressed a lot of like the feelings to actually heal it. So part of the work that I've been doing is being like, okay, I might be in a pit. And rather than, you know, me um, resisting this, it's I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to realize that this too shall pass. I'm going to look at my why, which is why I am lit up to do what I do and realize that in this moment, I might not be able to climb out of it. So just, just be present and, you know, let the wave pass. And for me, that's really what helps when you're just getting started. Cause I won't make this really clear. Like right now I'm not working less than four hours a day. I'm building a brand new business. It's less than a year old. And I am, working a ton and mm-hmm. I'm not getting the money to to compensate me for the time luckily I have this other business that I've been doing since college that it's you know my cash cow if you will yeah it's a, every day like is a new struggle it's like why am I doing this why am I doing this and then I need to a few mentors have helped me like listen, did your swag business like just take off right away? And it really grounds me. And it reminds me of all the hard work that I put into building that business because it took five to seven years, I would say, till I was working less than four hours a day and, you know, increasing sales year over year. And even the first few years were rough, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's, it is a grind. And I mean, we need to have that.
1: Why? Right. Let's come back. Let's circle back to this after what was it like for you growing up and what was the biggest struggle you faced that had the most impact on your life
0: yeah so i i grew up with um honestly a cush life to be completely honest my parents are entrepreneurs They're, they they own a business together selling office supplies both of their parents were entrepreneurs my great grandparent great granddad on my dad's side who i actually knew till it was like late 90s-ish, um, when I was like 10. And he came here, he was first generation of our family from Lithuania. He was a painter even. So um, he was an entrepreneur as well. He had a painting business. So it's kind of like in my DNA, if you will, and um, being Jewish too, like a lot of Jews are business owners, just to be real, right? work but hard. I, what's that?
1: They work hard.
0: Everything's debatable, but you know, it's just um, generalizing here. But... I I remember um, I grew up in Gilroy, which is the capital of the world, 30 minutes south of Silicon Valley of San Jose. And um, a farm town grew up with horses, goats and chickens, things like that. And it was a 30 minute commute of like pretty much farm town to get to the city that is San Jose where the sharks play in the heart of Silicon Valley. And I remember so many conversations with my parents, like them being in the front seat, my brother and I, just one sibling being in the back seat, and them talking about business and me just listening. So from a young age, I was just listening and like soaking it in. And um, I never really knew the word entrepreneurship till college. In my freshman year college, I had a friend that we became friends watching 49ers games in like the dorm. Right. And he'd always talk about, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be an entrepreneur. I was like, what does that mean? And they explained what it meant. I was like, Oh yeah. Everyone in my family's entrepreneur. Yeah. I want to be that too. And he'd always talk about, it and then we'd bounce business ideas off of each other. And that was kind of, um, really when I started to get the bug and in college, I had a, uh, we're top frat on, on campus at party school. I lived above the most popular bar for a year, you know, did the whole thing. And, um, I've repped an anti-hangover, um, company. I repped a spring breaks company. I repped monster drinks. Like I had a bunch of rep jobs. So I was always like the promoter and doing that thing. And, um, you know, it just kind of took off from there. But, um, yeah, growing up, you know, there wasn't too much adversity, there's little things like, you know, grew up fat kid, chubby, you know, that. so bitch tits and things like that. I don't know if I can curse on your podcast. Oh, that. yeah,
1: I swear, man.
0: Yeah, or even like, yeah, I grew up with, you know, being, Gilroy isn't like, just the high school and the environment I grew up in, like, not a lot of Jews and things like that. So I, I was always an outsider, you know, even like um, Christmas, you know, my family doesn't celebrate Christmas, so I was always you know, being that outsider and that type of stuff. And what was that
1: like? Was that annoying? Terrible, dude. Yeah. Cause Um, as a kid, like, I mean, we're, you're so everybody's so brainwashed into one way. (laughs) Like it's, it's really bizarre, man. Like there's like how we all celebrate that. And, and all, most people aren't even actually religious.
0: No. Yeah. My family is like, they, I had my bar mitzvah and everything, but after like doing that, like we didn't have to go to Friday night Shabbat anymore. It was like, okay, you know, we did our job. We raised our kids and they had a the bar mitzvah and like, now it's like up to you. My, my parents aren't like that religious. It's a culture thing really. But my dad would joke, like, can we have a honk bush? And like, I would beg for that. And it, my mom was like, no. And it was just like, whether or not I marry a Jewish woman or not, doesn't matter to me my ex is african-american like i mean you know and we dated for four years you know i thought i was going to marry a black girl to be honest for a long time so whether or not i marry jewish doesn't matter if i do marry jewish i want i know that i'm going to raise my kids um celebrating christmas and not with a religious thing but just because i don't want them to have the same feeling of being an outsider and it was terrible
1: you Mm. know so, yeah. I bet, man. I bet because, especially in the States, so commercialized. It is here, too. It's actually less commercialized in Australia, which was actually pretty interesting. But yeah, no, I can. That must have been challenging, man.
0: Well, I mean, let's 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 bring it back for a second. Like, you know, these challenges aren't that that bad. There's and all the challenges I'm talking about, like, so Jews like stereotype is hairy. I remember in elementary (laughs) school, I already had hairy legs and getting made fun of for uh, for that. So, like, you know, there's there was these type of things, but it was nothing too bad. Like my trauma came in college, if you want to talk about that. I don't know. I'm not going to – I tend to take over, so
1: – Go ahead, man. Just, <laughs> go bad. ahead, bro.
0: Well, I know this is the podcast about adversity. So, um, in my second year in college, it was Super Bowl Sunday, and I'll paint the pictures. I think this was Eli Manning's um, first su- – yeah, it was his first Super Bowl win over um, Tom Brady, obviously. 2009?
1: And- 2009? yeah 10?
0: 2007 10? i think i think it was 2007 The, giants beat the
1: Patriots. 2008 yeah the giants yeah, beat the patriots
0: both times um i think it was spring yeah. of 2008 i want to say yeah no i know it was it was spring of 2008 yeah so anyways, um, I remember like, you know, all of us, probably like 10 of us um, in the living room watching like, you know, the cel- celebratory things and, you know, they had and Man and talking about his older brother, like there and how like the family must be so proud and all this type of stuff. In comes um, one of our friends, older brothers, and I have to paint the picture for you guys to visualize in your mind's eye. This is a Northern California school. So people think of California as like being so liberal. Northern California is a little bit more conservative. And there's some of the best duck hunting in the nation, if not the world, in this area as well. So it attracts a lot more conservatives. So his older brother comes and he's wearing a bright red Sunday Day shirt. Cause it's Sunday fun day. Right. But on top of that, he's got his, um, camo jacket, his duck hunting jacket, his cowboy hat, you know, his Wrangler jeans and his like cowboy boots on like, just looking like ridiculous, you know, like it's kind of funny, but we're like, Oh, Hey Drew. And he's like, where's Jake. So, and he runs to Jake's room. He busts down the door and Jake hung himself it was probably about a week or two later that they took him off life support. So we were all just sitting there in the living room while this happened. Right. Had had no idea. And why bring up the story of Peyton Manning and Eli Manning is just like, this is his younger, like I'm seriously sitting there having those thoughts. Like, could you imagine what that would be like, you know, in the family, like, you know, how proud you would be as parents, like one son's a Super Bowl winner and here's the second one and proud old, like they were literally, this was the commentary, like the, how proud is the family and, you know, Peyton's much must be proud of his younger brother. Meanwhile, minutes later, our reality is like the opposite. An older brother comes in to save his younger brother from killing himself, um, so that was the first one. And that was obviously like life-changing type stuff. You know, um, I remember going to just in, in public, seeing people at the gym or whatever on exercise things and just being like, how are you living? And just like looking like, just feeling like a ghost. Like I wasn't, I was just like, I don't know. And I'd see people with like flames on like a hoodie or things like that. And I used to be into like flames, you know, as a high school kid growing up, like when I did, like, you know, we all want flame tattoos on our on our um, forearm. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, or barbed wire or that kind of shit.
0: Yeah, but the reason why I bring up flames is there's a movie with Robin Williams called What Dreams May Come. And for oh, anyone that, have, have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, so I saw that at a very young age and I love that movie. But at the same time, for anyone that hasn't seen it, I recommend it. But one of the things that happens is, in the movie is all about going to hell to save his wife. And it's anyways, it might be a spoiler. So spoiler alert. But the idea is like anyone that kills themselves goes to hell. So I'm sitting there from a young age, having seen this movie and not any religious beliefs, just like, you know, subconsciously thinking about that. And then seeing people with flames and things like that. And just be like, like, why was I ever into that? Like how terrible, like I never thought about what that actually represents. Hmm. You know what I mean? So that was the first one, but yeah. Wow.
1: So, so how did you, how did that affect you?
0: How did that affect me? Well, it really, um, you know, the cliche thing is like stop and smell the roses Um, I remember saying and thinking that a lot, so it really slowed me down. I mean, you got to realize, like, for the listeners and everyone, like, I was drinking every single day. Um, I thought uh, during my four years, four and a half, five years at Chico, I thought heartburn was a normal thing. I didn't realize till a couple years after college that I had heartburn for four <laughs> or five years from all the drinking. Yeah, it was <sighs> like it was insane how much we drank, and it was just nuts. Like drinking seven days a week was the norm, you know, and whatever night of the week, it, the Tuesday nights were buck night at the bar. Thursday nights were power hour, which was like 25 cents for the first 15 minutes for a shot. And then 50 cents the next 15, you know, like it was yeah. just so cheap and just a drinking environment. So I think it, I think I stopped drinking or not, I, I didn't stop drinking, but you know, I was able to slow down and not just be so like party and not like, I don't know. I would just put things in perspective. And you know, I started doing more internal work and soul searching, but not in the terms that I'm doing now. Like, just like, you know, typical things. I didn't did have the you, resources.
1: When did you realize that this let's, let's, let's go ahead here. And, uh, and like, when did you realize that that was actual trauma? And now looking at it, how different do you look at that incident than you did then?
0: It's interesting. At in the moment, you know, we knew it was trauma. Like we were going to the hospital and seeing him like throughout those week or two, however long it was, like, it wasn't anything like I didn't know, like, and you know, the friends that I had that were there, was like, we went through this together. Yeah, I knew. And looking back, it's, um, you know, through Eric Godsey's journaling course, I've done some journaling on it, but I haven't like really done it. It, I I always come back to that. And I know that's um, one of those grounding things. And I mean, you know, whenever there's a nonprofit to support, I always support suicide prevention. My whole thing about like, Soul Seeker, my podcast, and all the work I do is mental health awareness. Like it's it's a huge part of who I am, and you know I believe that we're all living our own Truman shows, and this is just like a masterful puzzle that all pieces together. And I don't know why that was supposed to happen, but I know it was supposed to leave a ripple effect for everyone that was involved mm-hmm. with that, or yeah. uh, so. It, it gives me like a sense of responsibility in a sense and not in a weird kind of way but just like in a way of like you know but then within a year later you want to go to the next one yeah man yeah so one day i get a call uh, every my mom's from new jersey she moved to california for college, never went back, but most of her family is East coasters. So we always uh, used to go to Florida to meet up with a great aunt and great uncle and meet my cousins out in Florida. They were from New Jersey and that would just be like our thing every spring. So sometimes we would be joined by my mom's cousin and my mom's cousin was married to a guy and they got married later in life and they were always doing like adventure things and stuff like that. And they had twin boys at an older age. I'm not sure. I don't remember how old they were. But I remember it being like, you know, they're miracle boys. And they it would come join us sometimes when we met up. So I didn't know them well as my mom's cousin, whatever the boys would be related to me. But we would see them, you know, every few years or whatever. So anyways, one day I got a call. And in short, the guy who's not related to us, he was losing everything in terms of his business. And I don't know the specifics, but I imagine he was going like bankrupt and, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses and whatever. And he was on um, Xanax and he took far too many Xanax pills. It might've been like 12. I don't remember. Um, Whatever it was, he murdered my mom's cousin, the mom, And he shot the twin boys like six years old on the day of their birthday party. Yeah. So that one, that one, I don't know if that one hit me harder. Like it's different. They're both very different because like one, I was in the room. Right. Um, But this one's family, you know, so it's um, and that's murder. And that's just like, I don't know how you can wrap your head around that. And that was also in college. And same type of thing, same type of reactions with that one where, you know, it was, um, I started to be more distant from the partying at that point, you know, uh, obviously, but I started to. And then the final thing that's not so much a trauma, it's just like a adversity type thing is when I was like 22 or something, and I won't get into the details, but I got a DUI. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is not going to define you. And that was one of the best things in my life to get that DUI because it gave me that chip on my shoulder to prove myself. And I was not motivated to do anything. Like I was like, you know, when I graduate college, like maybe I'll work, um, like on a boat or something and like do wakeboard camps or teach wakeboarding or I just want to go work shorts and sandals, whatever, like just chill. I don't really care. And At that point, that's when like I had to prove it to my family, like my parents and to myself, like, no, I'm not a fuck up. I'm not a mistake. And that's really, um, when you talk about like looking at me, like, oh, you do so much, like it comes from the DUI. Um, mm. Yeah, that's where that comes from.
1: Did any of that that happen though? Because, okay, you had, you know, you're growing up, this stuff happened, but do you feel that the overwork because you do hustle a lot, right? And you, you talk about it. Are you trying to cover up for like, not feeling like you were worthy enough for something? Like, even though you got a DUI, why would that make you feel unworthy? I'm curious. Like, walk us through, like, where did do you... How did you address that in the first place? Or have you, or have you really, or, or is that what you're working on now? Because this is super interesting, man, because we all have a sense of I'm not worthy or I'm not enough at some degree. We all suffering from it, you know? Yeah. And we try and overcompensate in certain areas because the, and then the underlying thing is I'm not enough.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, um, so many things I addressed there. Um, I'm reading an amazing book called The Life You Were Born to Live. So amazing. it lines with everything I've done with Romney Rami, for, with his human design, what I've done with the Akashic Records. And, and this is all about numerology. And a theme that keeps coming up is self-worthiness and self-doubt. And there's like two ends of the spectrum, like with this book, The Life You Were Born to Live. There's in the negative and in the positive and a lot of where I'm at today is in the positive, but in the negative is when I get back to those feelings and the feel feelings that I felt the majority of my life. Mm. So yeah, there's a lot of self-doubt, but it's like when you overcome that, then this is what it's going to be like. And that's where I'm at now. Now, another thing to be more direct is there was probably like 30 of us in South Lake Tahoe for 4th of July. And we were raging and I'm not going, I didn't even want to drive a buddy convinced me. Cause he wanted to shower at another buddy's house that I was like five minutes away. And I was like, dude, I don't want to shower. And he, he was, he, I take responsibility, but I was peer pressure and I always succumbed to peer pressure. I you totally used take to, you used to. Yeah. Good, good catch. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, I still do, but that is a good mindset thing. Um, anyway, so yeah, I got popped on a California roll you guys call it a California roll out there. Uh no, i so never, instead of doing a full stop, a uh, stop sign, like you kind of just like roll through it. Oh, they yeah, call yeah, it yeah. California roll. Yeah. So I got popped on that and I remember the next day when I got back, cause we were all camping and there's whatever, there's like 30 of us. I think I got back at night or something and there's fire pit. And I remember someone being like, welcome to the club and laughing about it. And I remember going back to Chico, like, I don't know, whatever it was, but going through a period where where I wasn't drinking and putting myself in social situations and dealing with peer pressure then, and people laughing about, oh, I got one too. It's cool. Like, no worries. And that's really when it, it was like, welcome to the club no 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 <laughs> you know like this is not the club i want to be in and um that's kind of where the chip on the shoulder came from and i just needed to prove myself and dude it's been an ongoing thing like last mm-hmm. year i was named to silicon valley's 40 under 40 list
1: and that's incredible I've- by the way i just real, i just learned that i think it was in uh somebody posted it in the stories that's incredible man like well done. <laughs> thank you like, that's that's you know that's awesome
0: Thank you. I, I I'll receive. Thank you. But yeah. even getting that recognition, I couldn't celebrate it. It was more relief than anything. And this year, I'm trying to get named um to the promotional products industry's rising stars, which I should for sure be named to. That like if I made it in Silicon Valley 400 or 40, and I'm feeling the same type of thing now. Like every day, I'm like searching my email. When did they announce it last year? Like they should be announcing it soon. And it's like dude, just chill. Like you don't care. Cause what happened with the 40 under 40, it was like, I couldn't even celebrate. I, I put so much pressure on myself that I could not be proud of myself for doing it. I started to look at the list and be like, okay, well, like, Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and all those dudes were never on this list. So, and they're in Silicon Valley. So this is a bullshit list, you know, like even so I'd start to make all these reasons in my head why it's like not good enough and like how I need to be on Forbes or entrepreneur or this and that. And like, it's like, can't you just sit back and appreciate this? And the truth is um, put so much pressure that it's more just a relief versus enjoyment of when it occurs. Um, so yeah, it's, there's a lot of um, self-worth and self-doubt type things. And whether it's like to prove it to myself, to prove it to the world, whatever, it's uh, even in the book, like I've always said that I've had a chip on my shoulder. Even the book, they describe like my numerology, the life I was born live, like part of the things I need to overcome is having the feeling of having a chip on your shoulder. So I'm telling you, like this book is amazing. I love it.
1: We'll, uh, we'll link it in the show notes for sure. What's it called again?
0: The life you were born to live.
1: Cool. Well, we'll have a link for it. So you talk about how for you specifically, it's tough for you to surrender. And I can tell by what you're saying right now that that would be the case. And even if you didn't tell me that, right? Because when you're when you're a doer, work, 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 that's where you get your fulfillment. And, you want to be able to control the outcome, right? Where have you learned and where have you benefited from the surrender so far in your business and in life?
0: Well, this um, this opportunity to not stress about business so much with um, shelter in place has, like, I, I'm not phrasing it correctly, but right now it's been a gift personally mm-hmm. because um I am putting my swag, uh, my main business email on pause for even like over two days if if I feel called to. Whereas before, like when I'm building the new business, I'm still working in the old business and feeling like, oh, I, I have this way over my head. I have to do this. I have to do that. Now it's just like surrendering to the experience. It's like, you know, dude, like, What are you stressing about? Like, you're barely selling anything. Clients aren't reaching out to you. Your team's taking care of orders. If a client does reach out about a project, so you get back to them and two days later, like it's not, everyone's slow right now anyways. It's not going to be the end of the world. So that's helped me um, in a business point of view. But when my depression came back last year and it hit so hard, like literally I would be, for a month straight I would go to sleep at me I couldn't sleep I would only sleep a few hours at night and I'd wake up not with like energy like uh, like a pep in my step but just like not groggy it was just like this weird zombie state and I'd use work to um as a distraction, which I still do. Right. But the point is I was literally like numb and not feeling anything and had to use work as just like, I would dread Thursdays because it meant Friday was coming, which meant the weekend was coming and people wouldn't need me. <laughs> right. Wow. Like, yeah, that, yeah, that's, a, that's a whole thing to unpack right there. But where I'm going with this is um I end up doing ayahuasca for the first time and I surrendered. I, you know, there's a lot of, mindset stuff I was doing and about surrender and being like whatever happens, like you this is no way to live. And I was just at the point where I was just so committed to surrendering and I had the most beautiful journey and everything changed after that. But since doing that, I've done ayahuasca, I did ayahuasca the next night. I did um I did psilocybin retreat for healing a few weeks after that. I did ayahuasca again in the fall, and I recently did a heroic dose of mushrooms. And every time since then, I've resisted. I have not fully surrendered, to your point, because what I feel like is like I'm in a pretty good state, so it's very hard for me to... I don't know, to truly surrender because I know what it felt like before. It was like, like this needs to change, like whatever I need to do. And now it's um, it's been a struggle to truly surrender. And that's something I'm working on.
1: Yeah. Do you feel that you're kind of in a good place right now? So th- sometimes this is the thing, the problem that I have with plant medicine and, and everybody's different it's not for everybody all the time, right? Like if you're, I think this is part of the integration as well. It's like, you want to get some answers. You want to, you want to seek what you need to seek, but then the next time you may not need it for a while because you're actually, if you've cut out the things you, you wanted to cut out, if you're actually on the path, I don't see the need to have to go into that necessarily, right? Because you can get there other ways and this is the thing that's such a beautiful thing about it is like everybody is different. So everyone's going to need a certain amount. And I just know for myself, I'm like you, I did a dose of three and a half grams. And that's for me, that was a lot in the dark. And I got, I uncovered a lot of stuff. And since then I've made the, ch- the changes, but I haven't felt called to go do another big dose. Like there's not even the micro dosing I've done. It's kind of been like Do you really need this, or are you just doing it because other people are doing it and some people do it more than others? So I start to think, but then I'm like, wait a minute, do I actually really need this right now? And it's okay if we don't, right? Like, but we think, oh, we're broken. We need it all the time.
0: I, you know, know? it's, I think there's something fun element uh, to it that happens because the truth is, you know, the journey itself is 10% 90% of the work comes from the integration and yeah. it, you know like you need to have time in between to actually implement the lessons and it, like we can't be living in this altered state all the time and yeah yeah it, it's it's a weird balance because Plant medicine for healing is different than psychedelics for recreation and partying. Totally. You know? yeah. Right. Completely yeah, different. T- totally different. And I'm no judgment. Like, I mean, a few weeks ago, uh, I did um, a half gram of part of my morning routine, two days of that week. And I have some of the best days that I can remember in recent time. And it was just like so much fun. And it was just great. And it was beautiful. And it was amazing. And I've been resisting doing that again, you know, because it's like, I, I know like um, you could call it shooting on yourself, but it's like, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, I need to not get in a state where I'm um, escaping reality and doing that type of thing. And when I do the big doses now, it's because I am so curious. This is I have another Akashic Records call um, today as time of recording this. Like I am so curious about like my actual purpose, and I truly feel like I am a true starseed and that like my truth is that I came here to volunteer and to help um, Earth and humanity, but like given the choice this wouldn't be the planet I would want to incarnate on. That is the truth I believe. And I have just so much curiosity about like the other side and going deep. And people talk about like seeing entities um, and I've never seen entities or anything like that. So for me, more than healing or for fun, it's about like the curiosity with the plants. Like I'm trying to get to, and I'm probably trying too hard, Uh, but anyways, like that's where I'm coming from in terms of like my big doses.
1: Yeah that's a great point and I I'm the same way I'm very curious I want to do ayahuasca I've had the call for it and I just think it's one of these things where again my my whole thing that I would recommend is that we're all different and you don't I I you're right I think integration is is absolutely key I think but there's also the chance to do you want to explore the worlds of that and really if you want to learn how to have the ultimate surrender, do a high dose of mushrooms and you will figure it out real quickly because I haven't got to the point of losing my whole ego and that yet, but I've gone to the point where I know what it, I, I'm like, Woo! okay, this I'm a step away from just like having zero control here. Right. And that's the beautiful lesson is that feeling of trusting the process, right? And knowing you signed up to go through this five or six hours and whether the good, the bad, the ugly is going to happen if you have that to be able to... It's a metaphor for life too, right? It's like that's why plant medicine is also good at teaching you to surrender because in life, you're all, it's all going to come at you. But how are you going to react and how are you going to allow it to pass? And I think, yeah, as far as really trusting the journey that what's happening in front of you is serving you is so important. Instead of resisting like, Oh, I don't want to see that. Why am I here? What's going on? Oh, I wish I was out of this. Like we all get that, that wave of anxiety. Like, oh, did I just do something stupid here? But then you're like, this is, this is why you're doing it. (laughs) You know, it's like, right. and, And we forget in our everyday life too, when shit happens, it's like, well, this is the journey. You know, the good is just as important as the stuff that makes us feel off.
0: Right. A lot of times, even arguably more important because yeah. that's what makes the change and the transformation. You know, it helps me with being present on the journey because I am so like out there and looking at the goal. Um, I wrote a book called The Written Goal, even, you know, like I'm and part of waking up was um, I'm not making firm goals anymore. It's, it's liberating to not have that stress and just be more present. But what I was going to say is like, instead of like, my old thinking where I was always focused on the destination and I'm trying to enjoy the journey enjoy the adventure, as people say, is it's really the teachings from fit for service with the hero's journey. Now I try to look at where I'm at in a current situation and be like, where am I in the 12 steps of the hero's journey? And it kind of grounds me. And it also gives me more clarity as well. um, In terms of like, you know, if it's business, something like that, and feeling like, oh, I'm never going to be able to make it, you know, and just like looking at where you're at on the journey, whether it's business or life, whatever it might be, it's really grounding it helps to bring you more present.
1: Has this been a tough thing? Because let's, let's say, just for example, most people, most business people, the Silicon Valley, probably aren't the most spiritual people. Or maybe they are. Maybe that's just me not knowing enough about them. But like, I know traditional business people are like, definitely not like that and it's kind of you're you know that but the spiritual part of tying that all in what like where has how hard has that been for you in your identity as being this business person but then having to tie the two together and have that conversation with people because there's people that still think everything's woo woo there's still people right and you're a very a hard worker, an achiever, and most aren't spiritual most that drive that work ethic that you have and what you do you, you most of them that i've met don't have the other side to them very often. so how has that been for you, and accepting that as part of it too?
0: So like going back to shows like Mad Men, um, one of the guys had uh, like his little feng shui thing, you know, the wood in the water, take off the shoes. And there's a CEO of um, a pretty big company here, small, big company, if you will. And you know, he's got like his water and things like that. And I've seen it in different movies. So I've always seen that growing up and like, huh, there's something to that. Or even in like 2000, 13 or whatever it was when I heard Tim Ferriss talking about meditation. And then I was listening to Lewis house and he was talking about meditation and whoever else it was. I know those two. Um, but it was like those guys aren't really like spiritual, right. Or they didn't seem like it at least. And it's like, huh, there should be something to this. So I feel like, um, in Silicon Valley or in business and in, in Some of the more successful people have quote-unquote spiritual, probably mindful is a better word to use, Mm -hmm. practices. But having said that, a few things. So, One, I moved out of Silicon Valley to Santa Cruz, so I'm about a little less than an hour away which is amazing. And um, there's a story behind that. I bought my house in 2014. I said, max years I'm going to live here is five years. And then I'm going to move to Santa Cruz and figure it out from there. Maybe move to San Diego. I don't know what's next. After doing ayahuasca, one of the downloads was it's time to move. As I'm looking at um, uh, places to live in Santa Cruz, I look at the date one day and I realize it was five years to the month. So like, who knows if my depression never hit and I never did ayahuasca, if I would still be living in Silicon Valley right (laughs) now. So it's funny how the universe helps you out. Anyway, so yeah, Santa Cruz is notoriously known as like liberal and hippie town, that type of stuff. I live in a community called Pleasure Point and it's this, you could hear a pin drop. Like there's so many houses just on top of each other and little uh, cottages And there's so many people here, but it's so quiet versus downtown Santa Cruz is like where all the quote unquote weird stuff happens and all the hippies and it's so loud over there and like, you know, people playing garage bands and all kinds of stuff here. It's just so cool, calm and collected. It's a surf community live like a minute away from the ocean and it's just super grounding and it's been amazing. So that's one thing I've changed my environment. I'll take you back to 2017-ish, maybe it was 2016, but I around then is when I started blogging and I was talking with a mentor and I told him how I wanted to write a blog post about a dispensary, a weed dispensary. And I was like, I don't know if I should do this because I don't want people to judge me or think of me differently um, for going to a dispensary. And the reason why I got my medicinal card and before it was legal in California to go into the dispensary is because I knew it was going to be legal soon and they wouldn't answer my emails and my phone calls. So I got my, my card to get in, literally get in the door to try to sell them swag. <laughs> like literally. And then, and I wasn't really smoking much or like doing weed much at the time. And since then I've been doing a lot more weed since, uh, doing weed. Cause I eat m- weed mints. I don't really smoke. Um, and not that often either, but the point remains their swag was amazing it was absolutely beautiful they were already set up and it was so intentional it's just so great and they're doing like high quality products so i wanted to write a blog about it. they even had like it was called airfield it is called airfield supply and they even give you like a boarding pass and the the branding is like you know aviation they give you a boarding pass for something like it was just the branding was amazing so he um mentored me my mentor in coaching me up like dude just be you be vulnerable be authentic show up as you right so i did that and um that's the first time i talked about marijuana and pretty much when i first started blogging and lo and behold now i have a podcast that's mostly about ayahuasca and plant medicine and psychedelics and like i've really gone deep on that right and one of the things is I talk about soul life balance rather than work life balance because I believe the system has always been broken, right? And this model has always been broken. It was to keep us not questioning, it was to keep us working for our PTO, working for that vacation, that dream of one day retiring and then w- that one day, right? Like it's just it just keep us to asking, just giving us enough where we don't really complain and revolt, right? Whereas soul life balance is realizing, wait a second, let's back up. Work is just a component of life. Yes, it has most of our waking hours are spent at work. But what is this whole concept of work-life balance? Like there's so many other components of life. If it's just work-life balance, where's our mindfulness? Where's our spiritual practice? Where's our religious practice? So that's where soul life balance is for me and looking at, okay, work doesn't take up that much of my pie chart. You know, and I, 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 I won't make the change. I won't see the change for all of us where it doesn't make that. It doesn't have that much space on the pie chart. So that's where I've been at. And even in a Facebook post I post yesterday, I post something for a few people in Fit for Service. So seven of us have been putting together a summit called Let's Fucking Grow Summits. It's going to give the tools and resources for newbies in uh, spirituality. And you guys should all check it out. Lance is a speaker for that, actually. Mm -hmm. But um, I posted in a Facebook group for promotional products professionals, over 8,000 people in the group. And I had someone comment about how it was unprofessional And I went on, like, I I responded very diplomatically, but the point is like, okay, so using the word fuck is unprofessional, but talking, but it's okay that I've been talking about doing ayahuasca and magic mushrooms and getting high for the past few years. And no one has a problem with that, but I can't use the word fuck. Yeah, it's messed up. Well, it's just, it's just
1: interesting what, what What we look at. Yeah. What people value as, Yeah.
0: Yeah, but what I put in the post is like, hey, I'm going to show up authentically as me and I and unapologetically versus live my life on eggshells and wear that mask that we always talk about. Like I'm doing my best to be me and your vibe attracts your tribe from a business point of view. So if I need to repel the people I don't want to work with and I don't want to work with me, then great. We're doing both of us uh, a favor because uh, there's going to be problems later on. And it also from a marketing business point, it helps, but really from a soul level, you're living your truth that way. So that's kind of where I'm at. Just unapologetic about it, you know? Yeah, definitely.
1: What, uh, where can we check you out, man? What else are you working on that we can put in the show notes for people to go check out?
0: For sure. Appreciate that. Uh, swagsam.com. That's got all my different things because I have too many brands to to talk about. I have a food show on YouTube, wrote a few books. I have a podcast that teaches you how to work less, make more, so you can live more. I have another podcast called Soul Secrets It's about soul life balance, spirituality. And I have a few courses. One of my new courses is um, how to create a course so you can share your message. And all the information, all my contact info is at swagsam.com.
1: It's awesome. You hear that guys. So he's creating a course to help you build a course. There's a lot of people out there that want to start a course. You know, I'm actually in the middle of building one myself and it's so valuable, but here's the thing. Not many people know how to build the course. So I think that's great, man. I mean, it's, I it's, it. it's simple. It's, it's, it's easy. And it's, I mean, that's, if people have the skills to build a course, then that's, you're giving them the rights to print money, essentially, you know, like, cause a lot of people, They just don't do it because they don't know how, like, you know. It's intimidating. The first time,
0: uh, when I built my first course, I overthought it to death. Um, I spent $2,000 on a course on how to build a course uh, before I spent $500 on a course on how to build a course and I overplanned my first course to death. And it was, it's not, it was just too much material. So with mine, it's really uh, easy to digest. It's, um, it's by donation. So sliding scale, you know, whatever you can afford, because I'm not trying to get rich off of it. I'm truly trying to fill my soul and help people help other peoples and help them in their own position. So yeah, it's amazing. a dumbed down version of what's worked for me and what I've learned from thought leaders and things like that. So
1: amazing. yeah, man. I
0: appreciate that.
1: That's great. Make sure you check that out, guys. Also, we'll have all your, all your goodies in the show notes, your books, that kind of stuff. Um, just to, Just to leave off, brother, I always ask this question. What is one lesson that adversity has taught you?
0: Surrender. Uh, no, but seriously, like I say that if, with a big smile and joking on my face because we spent so much time on surrendering being difficult for me, but it's the truth. It, like resistance creates pain. The biggest um, thing I learned from my first night of ayahuasca was resistance creates pain. Um, so it's surrendering. And I tell people to think of surrendering as acceptance rather than war in a white flag. But um truly like, I mean, if we look at what's going on in COVID right now, this is obviously a lot of adversity for all of us. The people that are able to accept it and adapt to a new normal that works for them are the ones that I had Gary V. come into my head say winning, and I don't like that. But are the ones that are, um, you know, in a more state of okayness, whatever you want to call that, as opposed to the people that are in resistance. So I think with Mm -hmm. adversity, we need to accept it and then feel it to heal it and then get back to that why and climb out of the pit. You know. Well said.
1: Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man.
0: Thank you, Lance. Great interview. I really appreciate you having me on.
1: Thanks, man. Everybody's going to love this. Thanks, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Make sure to check out Sam, check out his podcast. They're all going to be in the show notes for you. And he's got some really valuable resources to check out that I highly, highly recommend if you're wanting to learn more about the ins and outs of virtual assistants, more about pretty much anything business. Sam's got you covered, even at a course on how to build a course. So if you're looking to build a course, this is the guy that'll teach you how to do that. So he's a jack of all trades. Highly suggest you check him out. And um, yeah, much love, everybody. Catch you next time.